Awkward is probably a term that's awkward. thrown around liberally. No, I don't think it has to be awkward if you're with the right person. It wasn't actually funny anymore. Maybe I'm just nervous because I've never had sex before. If there's something wrong with me. It has to be something terrific. I'm not saying it'll never happen. The, the knowledge should come in a very natural way. This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we ask a single question. To find the answers, we speak with experts and listeners like you. This podcast contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. This week's question is, in 2015, is virginity still a big deal? Hi, um, I'm Chris. I'm 23 years old and I'm from Maryland. My whole life I've lived in Maryland and um, there's really not that many gay people. So I've kind of been kind of always to myself and um, I didn't really like all throughout high school, middle school. I never had boyfriends or anything. So I'm like a virgin. I'm still a virgin to this day. And um, for a long time, I thought there was like something wrong with me because I was just like, all my friends, you know, they have boyfriends. Like, I don't understand. I don't have one yet, and I, I kind of beat myself up over it. Like, I'm like, is there something wrong with me, you know? And, like, of course, I'm on, like, Grinder and all the other gay dating sites, and, you know, like, I would talk to a few guys or whatever, but whenever it got time to, like, actually have sex, I was just like, um, I got to be careful because I don't know if you're, like, a killer or something, and, you know, I I just, I'm kind of cautious, so... And then I kind of told myself, you know what, I'd rather, I've waited this long, I'm 23, I'd rather just wait and have sex with someone who actually, like, loves and cares about me than just some hookup because I'm, like, bored and horny, you know? Karina, we decided to do a show about virginity because we actually got some emails from people who wrote us and said they were virgins. And I think I was shocked, not shocked, but the idea of virginity still being important in 2015, to me at least, it's kind of crazy. Well, do you mean important in terms of having your virginity or in terms of not having your virginity or in terms of all of the All above? of it, like culturally too. Right. And I've seen these photos, you know, of fathers taking their daughters to purity balls and this idea of, you know, trying to hold on to your virginity and it being this thing that you honor and defend. Um, it seems so outdated to me. And then I have to take a step back and think, I'm probably maybe in the minority when it comes to that. I don't know if you're in the minority, but speaking of purity balls, which for those of you who don't know is when fathers take their daughters to a special dance where they promise to maintain their virginity until they are married. Um, Those types of circles, Noah, would say that you're still a virgin because by that definition, virginity is just penis and vagina sex. Right. So you're basically like, few steps away from the Virgin Mary. You would not be the first person to say that, but it also brings up a good question. What the hell is virginity anyways? Especially in a culture where people are having sex with people of the same sex, where penis and vagina is not happening for everybody. Yeah, or people who are opposite sex are not having penis and vagina sex. Right. So how do we define it? So to answer that question, we really needed to reach out to an expert. So we talked to Dr. Zoe Peterson, who is an associate professor of psychological sciences at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. We began our call with Dr. Peterson by asking her how she defines virginity and how somebody can lose it. So we know from from quite a bit of research that um, people 
don't agree in terms of their definitions of sex. And so not surprisingly, people also don't agree about what sexual acts result in virginity loss. Um, so I would say that research suggests that almost everyone agrees that penile vaginal intercourse can result in virginity loss. Um, for some people, that is it. That's the only thing that counts. Um, other people include uh, oral sex or anal sex or even other kinds of sexual acts in their definitions, um, but many do not. And obviously, definitions of virginity loss that include only penile vaginal sex are somewhat heterocentric. So based on that definition, someone who's only had same-sex sexual activity would remain a virgin their entire life. Um, so I think, I think this is sort of in the eye of the beholder. And I'll also note that when people have strong motivations to either maintain their virginity or to lose their virginity, um, there seems to be um, some tendency for people to find kind of loopholes in their own ideas about what constitutes virginity loss. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So there was actually um, a study that um, I did with uh, my colleague Charlene Mullenhard um, a number of years ago uh, with college students in Kansas. And what we found was that some of the students, and these were mostly women, um, when we just ask, what is your definition of sex, they defined sex as penile vaginal intercourse. Um, but interestingly, um, they said that they had engaged in penile vaginal intercourse, but they still considered themselves to be a virgin. And usually they justified this by saying that the penetration was just partial penetration, or it was so brief that it didn't really count. And then on the other hand, um, there were some students, and these were mostly men, who said that their definition of sex was penile vaginal intercourse that resulted in orgasm. But these individuals described themselves as having been very eager to lose their virginity. And so when they talked about their first sex experience, they said they had very brief um, intercourse or only partial penetration that did not result in orgasm, yet they really wanted to lose their virginity. So they decided it still counted as sex, even though it didn't fit their typical definition, and that, that counted as having lost their virginity. So I think definitions of virginity loss maybe somewhat flexibly applied um, in order to fit with individuals' kind of motivations in a particular situation. I think that's really interesting because I'm not sure that I would know when I lost my virginity. I mean, as a kid, I definitely played around with other boys in the neighborhood. Um, I don't know if that would count. Um, and then by the time I was, you know, in my early teens, I was having more explicit encounters with other guys my age. I'm not sure if that would count. Um, and then I didn't actually go all the way, so to speak, and have anal sex until I was 19. But I think it's weird to say that penetrative sex is, is how we define losing our virginity. It's much more straightforward for me to be able to say when I lost my virginity because it was always expressed to me as, you know, a young girl that that virginity meant penis and vagina. And that's right. what that was. Um, I remember in high school, I had a great boyfriend in high school and just refusing to lose my virginity because I thought, no, that's something you do in college. You're a whore if you do something. I don't even know who put this in my head. I had the most liberal parents. We're not <laughs> talking like, you know, I was going to Christian camp or something like right. that. Like, But all I think all of these influences just 
came in and somehow put this notion in my head, and I thought of it as being so important. And I think a lot of people think of it as being really important. Yeah, and it's everywhere. It's in Disney movies. It's on television. It's in pop songs. This whole idea of, you know, not just virginity as we know it, but also just like true love and holding out for true love and the love that will save us. And that has that's part and parcel of virginity. Well, but I will say there is a huge heterosexual caveat, and that's pregnancy. And that's why I do think that in heterosexual relationships, maybe the emphasis on waiting for penis and vagina sex until you are in a place where you can deal with those potential consequences if something went wrong. That element makes much more sense to me. But even that idea that having sex and the possibility that you could get pregnant and you wouldn't want to get pregnant unless you were married or in a partnership, that seems outdated to me even now too. Um, and obviously there were reasons for that. You know, it was about like the agrarian family and creating a family and having structure and having uh, control over, you know, the goods. And, and I don't know if that's true anymore. No, I think I think those notions of family, while still completely fine if that's what people value, yeah. aren't as necessary as they were in a different time and in a different era. But it does seem interesting because, you know, all of these things have evolved. Like we're past the agrarian era. We're, pa- you know, we're really past the industrial era mm-hmm. and in like this robotic era almost. But our thoughts on sex and virginity and you know, even removing it from religion and just thinking about it socially and what it means for a girl to have her virginity or not have her virginity. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, I hate to go back to it because it's it's so overstated, but it probably can't be overstated enough where you're either a whore or you're a prude. And those are the two options as a heterosexual woman when it comes to virginity. And as a guy, you're either a stud or you're a loser. Right. You know, and so it it goes both ways. I think obviously the women probably get the short end of the stick when it comes to that. Um, but I think for In guys. In more ways than one. <laughs> very true. But I think that for guys, virginity can be a, a, a really um, problematic thing too. Oh, no. There's so much pressure from all sides, which I think actually causes a lot of hurt and a lot of pain for a lot of people. I mean, we're talking about guys are potentially over-reporting their, you know, sexual experiences or or overstating when they first had it because they feel a pressure to have it sooner and girls understating it because they feel like it's going to make them look like a whore. Yeah. So in terms of gender differences, um, I can mention that boys tend to report losing their virginity or having first intercourse. Um, if we define first intercourse as losing your virginity, uh, boys tend to to have first intercourse slightly earlier than girls, like maybe a half year earlier on average. Um, there are different uh, racial ethnic uh, uh, numbers. So um, some studies have found that um, African-American boys and girls lose their virginity slightly earlier than uh, white individuals and Asians maybe lose, Asian-Americans lose their virginity slightly later than, than white individuals. Um, but there, there tend to be very small differences, really. Um, and across kind of uh, racial and ethnic categories, uh, boys tend to be just slightly earlier than girls. So that disparity between boys and girls, do you think that comes down to boys are just having sex or losing their virginity with girls who are slightly older than them? Or do you think that there might be some reporting errors in that? 
Yes. Um, yeah, so good question. Um, so, I mean, there's, it could represent different distributions. So it may be, you know, for example, that not necessarily that boys are losing their virginity to older girls, but that, you know, for girls, maybe perhaps there's, you know, a kind of wider range. So some girls are, are much later, and so that kind of drives up their numbers, but that a large percentage of girls are actually about the same age as the boys. Um, so, you know, sort of different shapes of distributions might account for that. Um, but certainly, I think um, differences in reporting could count as well, um, account for that as well. Um, so actually, um, Terry Fisher, who's a, a psychologist, has done some really interesting research um, where he looks at uh, men's and women's reporting of sexual experiences, sexual behaviors, um, and finds that women tend to um, kind of under-report uh, sexual experiences, um, whereas men don't tend to under-report sexual experiences. So actually what she did was she looked at if you just give men and women a questionnaire and have them fill it out, what do they say about their sexual experiences, and you actually find pretty big gender differences in terms of what men and women say about their sexual experiences. Do men over-report? Or is not, that not found necessarily? So not so much. Um, no, not so much. It t they tend to be fairly consistent. So, so if you sort of give them questionnaires, men report a whole lot more uh, than, than women in terms of number of sexual partners and things like that. Then if you hook them up to um, a fake lie detector test, mm -hmm. so you make them believe you're monitoring the honesty of their responses, um, women's responses kind of rise up to the level of men's responses and the gender differences dramatically decrease. That's so much fun. I'm thinking about all of the uses now for fake lie detector tests. I know. I know, actually. I, I know. I always kind of imagine what, how that could be helpful in research. Um, yes, it's fascinating. Uh, and so... So it suggests that women may tend to underreport sexual behavior, and so I think it would make sense, you know, that women might tend to slightly, um, you know, slightly increase uh, in their either intentionally or just because of how they remember, they may uh, misreport their age uh, slightly. Coming up on HuffPost: Love and Sex. We'll discuss whether or not your first time has an effect on your sex life in the future. If you haven't taken the time to find Love and Sex on iTunes, now is the perfect opportunity. Every time we get a new subscriber, rating, or review, it boosts our ranking in the iTunes store, which helps us spread sex positivity and education. We love, love, love reading your reviews on iTunes. We check them regularly. We especially enjoyed this one from Willow J, who said, Great, funny, and insightful. It's definitely hard to listen to any other podcast as interesting as HuffPost Love and Sex. The chemistry between the hosts is awesome. I'd love to meet them and even be friends. Aw, consider us your sonic friends, Willow J. And we'd love to read more reviews from all the rest of you. And of course, you can also email us. We love hearing from you, and our email is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. So in some of the individuals we've been speaking with just anecdotally, you know, they've sort of articulated this catch-22 when it comes to virginity or the state of being a virgin as something that's simultaneously highly sought out, but then after a certain period of time, it's sort of there's a stigma around, oh, my God, you're a virgin, you're over 20, and you're a virgin. Um, do you speak to that at all, or have, have you have you found any of that in your research? So I haven't looked at that specifically, but but interestingly, one thing I can say, and I don't think 
I'm not aware of anyone who's looked at this over time. I could be wrong, but I'm not aware of it. But um, I can say that Laura Carpenter, uh, who's a sociologist, um, has done some research showing that there are kind of what she identifies as three common metaphors that individuals hold about virginity. Um, and actually, Terry Humphreys, who's a Canadian psychologist, has done kind of uh, more recent research on, on these kinds of metaphors. And she said that there's individuals who see virginity as kind of a gift. Um, so this is like a cherished, prized possession um, that they give to a carefully chosen and worthy partner. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, there are individuals who see their virginity as a stigma. So it's something that's, you know, embarrassing. They don't want to talk about it. They want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. And then there's a, a large group of individuals that really see virginity loss as kind of um, just a sort of a process, a natural developmental process. It's part of growing up and learning about sexuality. Um, this is a kind of more pragmatic approach, like this is just one of those things you go through in the process of becoming an adult. Um, and so I could imagine that how people respond to their virginity over time might change, um, uh, or um, that there may be these kind of, you know, three different approaches, and um, and that really affects how people think about their virginity in the long term. So, Karina, what would you say your virginity was for you? Was it a gift, a curse, or more of a rite of passage? I think it was a mix between the gift and the rite of passage. It is funny, though, like I mentioned earlier, I was so adamantly against having sex in high school, and there was so much of a stigma around it for me. And I really don't know where that came from. I didn't have any of those direct influence. There was like, like religion or like parents who felt really strongly about it. So society managed to somehow sneak that in, even though, you know, I wasn't surrounded by any of the ideology that would have supported that. I don't think that's rare, though. I think a lot of people feel that way even today. Um, for me, it wasn't it wasn't like that. It was, I guess, because I was so sexual for so much of my life in varying degrees, obviously, as I got older. But there wasn't really a point where I was like, I need to lose my virginity, or I guess I didn't even really think about my virginity. It was just sex and sexuality were always sort of a part of my life. Do you think that's because virginity wasn't like as specific or taught to you as specific being not being like a heterosexual man? So it's like penis and vagina was not your mechanism for losing your virginity. So maybe everything was just more fluid for that reason. I do. But I also think probably a lot of queer people, there is a moment that they think is their virginity or, you know, it is probably is when they had penetrative sex, even though that we've already said that's so outdated in terms of our thinking. But um, I think part of it goes back to also just how we're educated about sex in general. No one talked to me about sex. I went to Catholic grade school, right. middle school. So we had family life, which was very much, you know, based on just the actual act of procreation. And that didn't appeal to me and it didn't really involve <laughs> me. So I guess sex in general was just something that I felt like an outsider with. And so a lot of these tropes and stereotypes just didn't apply to me. You know, it's funny. I think while I might have thought of it as like a combination between a gift and a rite of passage before I had sex or before I lost my virginity, after I did, I think I was like, what? 
Like, I think I expected, like, I don't know, like a Bambi scene where, like, birds fly in and, like, you know, like, are on the headboard and, like, singing sweet songs and, like, flowers are blooming or something. Right. And it, I think that just has to do with probably the fact that we talk about virginity as being penis and vagina, but so many people do all of, you know, that's yes. sort of everything but. And, yeah. like, as if this is this, there's this magical separation between all of these other sexual acts that, in my mind, are sex and then what we just classify and decide is sex. And so it's like— oh, that was just like the other thing, except in a different geographical location. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. It's not like the balloon drop at the grocery store when you're the one millionth customer. It's just kind of like, okay, I did that. Yeah, that happens. There's no, you know, there isn't any trumpeting or nothing goes off. No, but I do wonder if there is an ideal way or people think there's an ideal way to lose their virginity. So I was curious about that too, actually. And so I talked a little bit about it with Dr. Peterson. In studies on virginity, has there been any research to support an ideal age, setting, arrangement, et cetera, to losing your virginity? Maybe something that ends up making it the most fruitful or or having people retroactively look back and feel the most positive about that experience? Yeah, that's a great question. Not that I know of. So, so there's maybe some some clues as to that. Um, so, you know, I think typically individuals kind of uh, tend to feel better about their first experience if it's with someone they care about um, than if it's with, you know, someone perhaps they don't know very well or don't have positive feelings toward. Um, so, so that seems to be something that uh, seems to be associated. Uh, with feeling better about about first sexual experiences, um, but I think I mean I think a lot of this is sort of um, individually based. It depends on how you feel about it. It depends on what you're trying to get out of the experience, and it probably really strongly depends on the kind of meaning you assign um, to virginity loss. I mean I think if you're one of those people that sees your virginity as a gift, um, this cherished possession, then it's probably going to be really important that the first time is extra special and extra meaningful and it's with the right person. Um, If you're someone who sees it more as a process, um, then that may be less critical. Um, You know, you may recognize that there's going to be, you know, bumps in the road and that, that that's just part of the learning process. So I think I, I better understand historically why the emphasis on virginity would be important, you know, in times before birth control where, you know, this would really be the only way of knowing that you didn't have other children or that th- those types of elements didn't come into play. Do you have any ideas on why there is still such an emphasis put on it today? I don't know, actually. I mean, I think I mean, I mean, think that's interesting. I, I think um, – and I think the extent to which there's an emphasis puts on it also varies. So I don't know that everyone puts um, as as important of an emphasis on as they would have at, at one time historically. Um, I think, you know, for some individuals it maybe doesn't have the same meaning that it might have of, at one time historically. Um, but certainly it still does for some individuals. And and I'm not – I'm really not sure why that is. I mean, I think – I mean, I think in, I guess, kind of dominant U.S culture um, and other cultures as well, um, we really have identified um, penile vaginal intercourse um, and first penile vaginal intercourse um, as this 
you know, sort of really important developmental milestone. Um, and so I, I think that in part just because we have sort of identified this as a meaningful step in development, um, that, that people tend to give it more attention. What advice would you have to someone who is a virgin and is interested in having sex for the first time? <laughs> uh, I, oh gosh, what advice would I <laughs> I know you're not a cosmopolitan columnist, but you might actually have some more insightful answers for that reason. Um, well, so, okay, so so maybe I'll speak a little bit uh, kind of to the research, which is that, you know, um, there is some evidence, uh, and, and I don't think this is universal, but there's some evidence that your first sexual experience does somewhat set the tone um, for, for later sexual experiences. Um, and so that people who have a more positive uh, first sexual experience, um, and often that's sort of defined as um, kind of more intimacy, more sexual satisfaction, uh, that those kinds of things do then predict, um, you know, kind of more satisfaction in, in later sexual experiences. Um, and so I guess I would say uh, that, you know, thinking about what is going to make it most kind of emotionally or psychologically satisfying for you and also what's going to make it most physically satisfying for you um, in that first experience, uh, since that may, to some degree, uh, set the tone for later experiences. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or that you feel is important to mention that that we haven't gone over yet? Um, I can't think of it. Oh, I might just say, I, I do think it might be worth saying that I do think the meaning of virginity loss may differ somewhat for um, women, girls, um, and men and boys, um, because I think historically there has been such a, a sexual double standard um, in which men and adolescent boys are socially rewarded for being sexually experienced, um, and historically women and girls are, are kind of socially punished for being sexually experienced. Um, and so uh, I, I think, you know, if, if girls believe that they will be socially punished for being sexual, um, then they may be very motivated to remain a virgin. Virginity may be very important to them, very meaningful to them. Um, and that may be less true for boys who often think that they'll be socially punished for not being sexual. Um, for them, there may be kind of pressure to lose their virginity as quickly as possible. Um, and so I think that... that boys um, and girls um, or young men and young women experience very different pressures around virginity um, in many cases that um, women are kind of pressured to hang on to it and men are pressured to, to get rid of it as quickly as possible. So Karina, do you think that if you lost your virginity earlier or later or the way that you lost it was different, would that change the way that you think about sex now in your own sex life? How much of an impact do you think your virginity and the loss of it had on who you are as a sexual person now? It's such a hard question because it's one of those things where it's easy to say, like, oh, I should have just, you know, done it earlier. Or I should have done it whenever. It would have been fine. But right. I might have then felt some sort of sense of regret. And I think the thing for me was I really didn't experience any guilt with it, which is why I think it was easy for me to be safe and to be really straightforward around questions of, like, protection and and making smart decisions and and having the conversations of when that you need to have when you're having sex in a heterosexual relationship of what are we going to do if or like right 
all of those all of those things that you don't have to worry about, damn you. And well, but you know what we do have to worry about, or I do have to worry about, and, and actually the first time that I had penetrative sex, I didn't use a condom. And I think I didn't use a condom because it just wasn't even like it was so stupid, but I was with this person. And I was like, I really like him. I don't really know what I'm doing. I think if I had had more more honest conversations and people had had conversations with me, that wouldn't have happened. And so, like, that's a really awful thing to have sort of done. But I don't feel like you can be that hard on yourself because, like you said, no one was having that conversation with you. Yeah. I mean, I can complain about – you know, abstinence-only sex education or abstinence-plus ed- sex education for people who are heterosexual. But if you're gay or straight or queer, it's not just that you're not getting the right information or enough information. It's that you're not getting any at all. Yeah, for sure. And, and I also think then and sometimes you can end up doing things that you wouldn't do normally because, one, you don't have that information, and, two, you just sort of want to be accepted. Yeah. And you find this person who now – I'm not even going to say the word loves you, but, you know, is interested in you and wants to have sex with you. And as a young queer person, at least for me, that was really exciting. And so I think you are willing to compromise things in order to go to places that you normally wouldn't. Like you were saying the same thing with non-queer people. I also think we have to touch on it for people who are still virgins or still identify themselves as virgins. And that's totally okay, too. That's a totally fine space to be in. And that gets stigmatized as well. It does. And that's the thing for for you and me. I think virginity wasn't a big deal, isn't a big deal. But I think for for some people, it really is. And that's totally okay. which I think we should hear from Chris, the man from Maryland that we spoke with earlier. And he's got some advice, actually. Um, I mean, I guess I would just say to anybody out there who's like me, who, you know, it's taking you a while to meet someone, don't give up hope because, you know, this world is so big. And especially if you're like in a small town, just always remember that there are other people out there and like, you're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with you. And you'll, you'll find someone someday, you know, I, I haven't given up hope yet. That's it for this episode of HuffPost Love and Sex. A big thank you to our producer and editor, Caitlin Bukuki, and our audio engineer, Brad Shannon. Please, please, please let us know what you think of the show, especially if you have an idea for an episode, want to share your story, or have a question. You'll find us on Twitter with the handle at HuffPostPodcast. Or you can always email us. Our email address is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast app happens to be. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show and sex positivity. And keep clicking those gold stars, people. If we get more gold stars this episode, HuffPost is going to throw us our very own purity ball. Our next show will be about how young adult literature is often a better educator than sex education itself. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one, so make sure you subscribe on iTunes and listen in. 